I wanted to pick up um, where we left off because, you know, years, well, this last year when we began uh, together, the Lord said, you know, don't call them meetings, call them events. And so every time we have an event, there's a stage we go through and we pass through that stage, we'll go to the next stage. And that's interesting because we're on a trajectory with God. And so last week at the end of uh, at the end of the event, uh, Steve Sr. came up and he he talked about how people had sat down in the darkness. And I thought it was really interesting out of Psalms 107. And sometimes when you're going through something and you're going th- in life, you can sit down. Uh, because everything around you appears to be dark and it doesn't appear that you can see your way through whatever your circumstance is. You're looking at it and you said, there's no way around this. How am I going to make it through to the next stage or to the next point? Everything is dark. And this light of the glory of God, the revelation of Jesus begins to pierce through the darkness and it hits your mind and your heart and your understanding. And he says, trust me and believe me because I got a... I've got a path through the darkness. You say, Lord, there's no way. And he says, step out and move with me. And what happens a lot of times, and what had happened in Israel in that day, of many people, because of the despair and because of trouble, they had sat down in the darkness. And so Steve says this to me out of Psalms 107, and I looked at it and I seen the propensity of the human heart to give in to what it sees instead of giving in to what the glory of who Jesus is. And the Lord takes me back to Job. And I don't know, I don't know if Job's your favorite book, but it's my favorite book. And most people would say that's the craziest most ludicrous thing I've ever heard that Job is your favorite book, but Job is my favorite book. I've, the doctrine, the understanding of the Godhead, who he is, that we don't have to shy away from this God, that we can boldly come into his presence. Job tells me, man, that the Lord is good and he is gracious and that he has a plan. And there's a double blessing for the people of God that comes down on the people of God. But listen to what Job says in Job uh, 10. He's saying, I want some relief. (laughs) Why then did you bring me out from the womb? Has anybody ever felt that before? Why did you ever bring me out from the womb? I should have died. And no eye would have seen me. Any one of you ever felt that before? Like... It would have been better maybe that my life had not even begun because look at where I'm at and what I'm going through. And if you would have just like put a hold on my life, it would have been better because you recognize that God is God. But if you just put a hold on my life, it would have been better. And he says, I should have been as one who had never existed. Anybody ever felt that way before? like your own existence and you, and you said man I wish I didn't even exist 
This is what's so remarkable to me about Job because Job is actually saying what many people say, but they're scared to admit it. You know, and he says, I should have been at those that never existed. I should have been carried right from the womb straight to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease then and leave me alone. Just let me go curl up somewhere and die. He says, cease then and leave me alone that I may find just a little bit of comfort. Before I depart, never to return to the land of darkness and the deepest shadow. You know what's so glorious about this? People would say, what kind of preaching is this? But man, when you've come to the end of darkness and you know that there is no more sting in death. Listen, let yourself come to the end of yourself. Come to the end of your own existence. Come to the end of everything. Because on the other end of this darkness, uh, behold, is a great light. It's like all your fears and everything that you would tremble at. And you'd say, if, if I lost that, I lost everything. Listen, on the other end of all loss and all darkness is the glory and majesty of our Savior. There's no darkness that light can't overtake it, right? Listen, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid. Push on in. Let, let whatever has tried to collude you and take your mind and take your own desire, even your own existence, go on with the Lord. Whatever your fears are, you can throw them and they're vanquished in the glory of the light of Jesus, right? Listen, he says, I even went to the deepest shadow. I mean, guys, there's some really profound uh, psychology on the shadow dimension. I don't know if you've ever looked into Carl Jung or those guys. This is beyond the shadow. The Lord. Remember what happened to Peter? He gets so touched by the Lord. What happens? His own shadow now has so much light in it. That when he walks past the sick, they're raised up. Because you're even the shadow that comes out of us will become as light. Look, he says, to a land of utter darkness, like the deepest darkness. Listen to Job and the deepest shadow and disorder. In the deepest place of chaos, in the deepest place of shadow in the deepest place of darkness, in the place where you would say, I don't even know if I should exist. I don't even want to exist. Where even light is darkness. This is... Now listen now, so... I'm so grateful for for God who would take us to the deepest place of darkness to reveal the glory of His light. I heard this last weekend. Like I said, we're picking up here. Oh, death, where is your sting? 
What happens when you don't fear for your own life anymore? What happens when you do not even fear for what someone else's opinion is of you anymore? What happens when you don't fear about finance and health and relationships anymore because all you see is the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? What happens? Job goes on. Now, what's crazy, Job makes this beautiful speech to me. It's like Job tends this beautiful speech. And then Zophar comes online, his miserable comforter. And Zophar will go and take a theology and misapply it to Job. I don't know if you've ever had this done to you, but it's very painful when someone does this. You're in the middle of suffering. You're going through a really tough place. They take a theological position about God and they apply it wrongly over your situation. Does that ever happen to anybody? They see you from a perspective that is not matching with what God is doing in your life. So far does this. He has correct, actually his theology is what's called retributive justice. That means that you get what you deserve. something beautiful here because in Hebrews like I got into with you last week in Hebrews 10 the Lord's going to take away the consciousness of sin no more self-consciousness of sin anymore this is the glory of where we're headed as the people of God no more consciousness of sin no more consciousness of it in yourself no more consciousness of placing a perspective over other people about their sin no more. It's going to end. This is the great glory of God's delight. This is what is coming, God's delight. To know his delight over you as sons and daughters. No more self-condemnation. No more condemning others. No more applying theological positions over other people that isn't gracious. Because what will be said in this last day, in this last end time move is... He's merciful and his loving kindness endures forever and all condemnation will come off of the sons and daughters of God no longer to be condemned anymore. Yes, convicted, but out of a relationship with a loving, most benevolent father that we have. No more of the misapplication of theology over, even right theology over us. It'll be cast off out of the intellectualism of the mind or even the misplaced feelings. It's over with. I'll not receive that because I'm a son. I'm a daughter of a king. I don't have to receive your perspective anymore. No more assault from the enemy. No more because death has been swallowed up in victory. See, we see you like this message like I do because it, we were made for it. We were made for Him to be loved. I love this. Now, here, the guy who is misapplying theology, he does say something about Job, and he's very sarcastic and he's mean spirited, actually. But then he says something towards the end, and I was asking the Lord about this this week after Steve said this. Steve, you weren't in here, but I was saying what you were saying about the people sitting down in darkness, Psalms 107, and then how the Lord picks up Job 10 and takes me into Job 11 and gives me an encounter the next day, or that day, or actually Wednesday morning. 
And I was like, but Lord, so far as uh, theology is wrong, it's like, no, it's not exactly wrong, it's misapplied. And I said, oh, he's misapplying it to Job. He's making a misapplication. He says, look down here, he's going to say something that's absolutely correct. Listen to what, I want you to do this with me this morning. He says in verse um, uh, 13, the numbers are little. Uh, as for as for you, if you prove faithful, and if you stretch out your hands towards him, what does this mean? I was asking the kids, what does this mean? Basically, it means surrender, and it means help. You know, I love you. I worship you. You stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away says and do not let evil reside in your tent cast out all the wickedness and lack of truth in your household if anything is not truthful and is not integrous and not credible get it out cast out your hands before the Lord cast out everything put your hands out before the Lord and say I need your help get rid of everything out of my house that it does not exalt you as Lord I don't want anything to do with the faults. I want truth, integrity, and credibility at the core. I want all wickedness out of my home. He says, you will lift up your face without a blemish. They ever look in the mirror and say, something didn't come off right with this. (laughs) He said, you'll look in the mirror and you'll see no blemishes be securely established and listen to this and you will not fear and no more anxiety no more oh my word what am I going to do how am I going to make this happen no more it's over with listen to this you will forget your trouble you know what listen you know when Joseph had his first boy his name was Manasseh His second boy was named Ephraim. Do you know what Manasseh means? It means causing one to forget the toils of your father's house. And do you know who came after Manasseh, Ephraim? Do you know what his name means? The double blessing. Your double blessing comes when there's a forgetting of the toil. A forgetting. A literal like blanked out space now because I'm leaving behind and moving forward into the fullness of what God has for me. And a double blessing comes when there's a forgetting. I don't, you know, he says, so you'll forget and not remember. It'll be like water that took everything in your life that had caused you trouble, then it flowed away. You know how a stream is. You look at it one minute, and the next minute it looks completely different because the water took it, and, and life will be brighter than the noonday. And though there be darkness... This is our promise in this end times. It will be as though it is the morning. So, hey, the world may completely collapse all around us. And for you and I, what appears to be darkness to everyone else will be for you the morning. And you will be secure. End time message. In times, you will have full security. 
The world's crumbling all around you, and God says, I will secure you. And because there is hope, you will be protected. You don't have to provide protection. The Lord will protect you. And I will, and you will take your rest in safety. Why, you, you want to come up, John? You have something to say? You'll lie down and no one will make you afraid. Anybody ever had to stay up all night because you were troubled about something? I have. <laughs> but the Lord says you don't have to, you won't have to stay up anymore. You can sleep the whole night because Psalms 127 says, I give my beloved rest. No more anxiety, no more trouble through the night. And then it says, and many will seek your favor. So done, you're saying, means to be about God's business. Do you notice what John is saying there that those that the reason why we've shied away from the light, the reason why light is because if you don't want your deeds exposed, you have to run from the light. But if you're willing, because it is painful, this can be painful when the Lord begins to expose. But let him have his way with you. Oh, it's glory. I, I mean, I can say it's because I've had to repent thousands of times. You know, just like, Lord, please. You know, and he's like, You're, by my grace, I forgive you. Don't, don't get away from 1 John 1, 9. You know, there's a hyper grace message there that tells people, oh, you don't have to repent. It's all done. No, there's a place where you come up to him conviction comes on you. I don't mean like a false humility. The Holy Spirit's conviction comes on you and leads you to repentance. Don't get into a false thing. But also don't say there's no confession either because you don't want to get into this, I got to repent every day for something. The other side is I don't have to repent. Wait, When the Holy Spirit illuminates something to you, say I changed my path to just follow you like that and just weave your way with Him like that and then walk with Him. Lord, we, uh, we say, Lord, bring great light in the midst of darkness. Lord, we embrace the light and take us up in the Spirit this morning. Have your way with us, Holy Spirit, and take us off into the glories of the realm of your presence, Lord. Let us know you and encounter you, and may you be lifted up in this city. May you bring a great harvest of souls, Lord. Start with us, Lord, and hear us. Fill us with your light of your glory in the gospel. Oh, we bless your name, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We lift you up. For the great evangelism and the great awakening that's coming on the earth. Start with us, Holy Spirit, to have your way with us, Lord.
is like my God. My enemies, they consume themselves. Who is like my King? He who rules with compassion and love. Who is like my Excuse me, he will avenge me. And it's only a little while that I sit in darkness. And I rejoice not against me, oh enemy, when I fall, I shall. It's 
so wild that I sit in darkness and rejoice not against me, oh enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. The Lord is my life, and He pleads my cause.
Till his kingdom is all that resides You are blameless and pure of heart Because of what our big brother bought the thoughts of your mind till this kingdom is all that resides you are blameless and pure of heart because of what our big brother bought His blood, and the King is waiting for us to come. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, let's go up and see our God. Wash your hands and accept His blood, and the King is waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. Go up, let's go up, let's go up. There's a hill that we call reality. It's a deception to keep us earthly. We are invited to the heavenlies If we believe what our groom is saying Come on, let's go Come on, let's go Let's go
so glorious and I didn't even know this but the Lord said to me he said I'm releasing the fig I'm releasing the olive and the vine and I didn't even know but they all go together and I hear this word from the Lord this morning Eden land is now called Emmanuel's land this is my land says the Lord now listen to this. Each of these beautiful trees, when studied separately in their symbolic connection with the ways and thoughts of Jehovah concerning the people and the history of Emmanuel's land, will suggest many instructive thoughts. And when taken together as connected symbols, they have still deeper teaching for those who have eyes to see and hearts to understand. In the first parable in Scripture, that's uttered by Jothan and the men of Shechem from the Mount of Gerizim, Judges 9, verses 8 through 15, we read. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to wave to and from over the trees? And the tree said unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine which cheereth God and man, and go to wave to and fro over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth you anoint me to be king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow, and if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. The fig, the olive, and the vine are symbolical types of that nation to whom God gave that pleasant land of which they were the product and the fruit. That highly favored people thought to scorn of that pleasant land and have no credence unto his word. And when they were in possession of it with its cities and goodly trees, which were they were they planted not they had wickedly forsook the Lord their God who had redeemed them out of Egypt and brought them into the beautiful land and so after much long suffering patience and goodness he had cast them out to be scattered among the Gentiles the fig and the vine are types of Israel under the first covenant the olive is a type of Israel as the object of God's sure promise and the blessing of the Lord. A figure of that place of privilege in God's grace 
of those who are in possession of the oracles of God. And among his honor dwelleth. God brought forth a vine out of Egypt. He drove out the nations and planted it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were filled with the shadow of it. She sent out her branches unto the sea and her shoots unto the river. Psalms 80 verses 8 through 11. Oh man, the sad song. When they hung their harps in the willow trees is over. Oh, today, when Eden's land becomes Emmanuel's land, and we, the remnant of God, unite again all across this nation because a root is rising. A root because God took and dug out a place in this land and planted a vine. And out of that vine and out of this vine of this land will come a restored people, a royal family will break forth and break forth in the dawning of a new light and a new era is upon us. Listen to this out of Song of Songs chapter 6. As the Holy Spirit kept saying to me, I will make a presentation of the bride in this hour. I'm going to present my people. Now I'm going to make a presentation like the world has never seen. Mark these words from this place out of this Emmanuel's land that a bride is coming forth glorious without spot and without wrinkle to be united with a bridegroom at the great marriage supper of the lamb and we the beginning first fruits the first fruits who dedicated ourselves to the Lord the first fruits of the offspring of God we are and he says who is this that appears like the dawn Beautiful as the moon and bright as the sun. All inspiring as the stars in procession. Oh, man, today the Lord is restoring a nation. Today, the wine for our joy. The olive for the oil to flow again. The oil of the light of the glory of God where the wicks are trimmed and the oil, the brightness flows. We have oil in our lamps where God's brightness and fire will come all over the earth. Fire, fire will rain down. Wine and oil and the fig leaf will blossom. The fig leaf blossoms today. The fig of Israel, the restored remnant of God, the despair those who have been dispersed will be gathered now. Watch it. Mark these words. A royal family is coming forward right now. The remnant of God, the bride of Christ. We will see out of this crown virus, you will see a crown come forward. You will see God's glory. You will see the greatest awakening the earth has ever seen. Yes, you will see a civil war, and you will see a World War III, but you will witness with your own eyes the greatness of who God has made us to be, the royal family. Lord, and they will say this unto us, who is this that appears like the dawn? Who are these people? Who are you, beautiful as the moon? 
bright as the sun, awe-inspiring as the stars in procession. I went down to the orchard, to the walnut trees. I looked in the blossoms in the valley. The Holy Spirit's looking, observing all throughout into the valley, looking to see, has the vine budded? (laughs) Yes, it has. Today, today, the vine is budding. The vine that has been planted in this land in Eden, Emmanuel's land. The pomegranates are in bloom. Hey, spring is coming upon us. We're going to come out of the winter and spring. Watch the great blossoming of the blooming of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And she said, I was beside myself with joy. You ever been that happy? I was so filled with the joy of God. He says, there, please give me your myrrh. Who does that? Who says, give me your myrrh? I'm not afraid anymore of what appears to be darkness to others and what appears to be death. Please give me your myrrh. Oh, daughter of my princely people. Oh, man, we worship you, Lord. Oh, a nation reborn. Chosen people. You're a royal family. Oh, you're a nation. You're a holy nation. You're a nation of holiness. In us you dwell, Lord. In us, your offspring, God. We agree with you, Lord. Well, you gather our brothers and sisters together. One united family. One family, Lord. Your extended family, Lord, that you died for, you bled for. We're your family. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit.
open this morning here in this place. Lord, we receive the windows to pray through toward Jerusalem this morning, God. Thank you for establishing your Jerusalem and your kingdom, oh God. Carol, and when I dreamed about that this week, the angel of the Lord came and received pomegranates from Daniel's prayer. So I looked at the Hebrew meaning of pomegranates after Carol mentioned in the scripture from, from the Song of Solomon. And, and it mean, it, they mean to have power. To have power. So Lord we, Lord, we choose to pray through these open windows this morning. To worship through these open windows this morning, God, with great power, dear God. Knowing that you hear us, God. Knowing there are angels surrounding and gathering the fruits of our prayers, dear Heavenly Father, and bringing them before your throne this morning, O oh God. And your word says you'll answer, Lord, with thunderings and lightnings, God, as you return your word to us, O oh God. It will not return void. Hey, cry out. Cry out. Pray through the
were just singing in tongues and praying, I heard this loud fluttering and I thought it sounded like a helicopter. And I opened my eyes and a huge eagle had landed in this place. And it was flapping its wings like this and it was crawling and drawing us to come up under its wings. At first I thought maybe we're supposed to get up on the eagle, but as it, as it did its wings like this, it raised up a little bit and there were these harnesses like kind of things hanging under the eagle. And we just got in these and we just started flying with him. And it was like we didn't have to hang on. There was no weight left to us. We weren't weighted down. We weren't burning down. We were weightless. And we just started going and soaring and soaring. And I heard, come on, let's go up. Come on, let's go up. And as we became weightless and he called us, we ascended higher and higher. And then we began, I realized that we were overshadowed by the Almighty. You know, it's like we were covered. We were completely covered by him. And of course... I was reminded of Psalms 91, and he spoke it in a little bit. But as we got higher and higher, I heard a, a sound of like a, a huge, you know, like like you would picture in these movies of these huge doors that are like gigantic tall, and it was like, and it opened. And there he was, and he was welcoming us. There's an open door, and he was welcoming us to come in. He called us to come up. He's welcomed us in, and he began to dance wildly and rejoice over us as we came in. It was like we didn't have to come in wondering if we were welcome or wondering if we were, you know, allowed or what have you. He was rejoicing, and he was just like speaking and dreaming and dancing over us and stirring us up, just like that feather, the eagle's feathers had stirred us up. And then Stephen started singing, come on, let's go up. And I thought that was so funny. Um, so God. And then um, I just want to read Psalms 91 real quick. Is that okay? Carol. We're being carried. You know, when you're on top of the eagle, you, you kind of have to hang on because it's kind of like, whoa. But we're harnessed into him. We're connected to him. And Psalms 91 is what I felt the eagle saying as we soared. When you sit enthroned under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God most high. He's the hope that holds me and the stronghold that shelters me. The only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue us from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from false accusation and deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. No, I say, don't fear a thing. Whether by night or by day, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded with, from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect us wherever we go, defending us from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. 
for here is what the Lord has spoken to you. Because you have delighted in me as my great lover, I will greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure before my face. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will find and feel my presence, even in your time of pressure and trouble. I will be your glorious hero. I will give you a feast. You will be satisfied with the full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. And after that was declared over us, the eagle came back, landed down here back on the earth, and it was as if he ushered us, you know, like um, like a mother would do a child, go on now, go on, or a father, go on. And it was like that, that um, urging to step down, step forward. And then he said, um, Song of Solomon 2. Oh, where are you? Arise, my dearest, come away. I have come as you have asked to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. He's talking to the bride. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. The season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you. The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there's a change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me. And then I heard, as it were, the world looking at us. And they started saying, who is this? Coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. Who is this? Coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. There's a thing. There's such a humility that God is bringing to his bride, but such a fierceness for her to walk in that it's going to be a humility and a fierceness, the lion and the lamb together. And we're going to walk through the earth as lights, as beacons of his presence and his glory. There's not going to be fear because we will know who we are. We will know who we are and we are not standing on our own strength or in our own might. We are leaning on our beloved. We are the leaning bride. Who is this? Who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? The enemy thought he had us, but we will rise. We will rise. We will rise. We will rise. You are rising. You are rising. You are leaning on your beloved. He speaks a new season, a new destiny to you, into you. No longer fear, no longer fear that you are shadowed by the Almighty. We are shadowed by the Almighty. It is our time. It is our time. Who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved?
I hear the Lord saying, He says I need to ask that He's actually asking for permission. If you let Him do something for you, because He's so gentle and because He will not violate you and because He's so tender and filled with loving kindness He'd like to do something for you secret place that we're in but he has to get your permission I keep seeing the the scissors of redemption they're they're made out of silver this is a redeeming and the atoning work that Jesus purchased on Calvary for the for your mind. He's a master surgeon. He's the master. He's the creator. But he will not master over you. He will not force you. But out of his loving kindness, he would want to give you a better life. He needs to do some, some work on your mind because he wants to clear up the, the thoughts and the things that have entangled and ensnared. He wants to do some work in your mind some of the darkness of the mind and he wants me to give you this warning your life may be recharacterized differently than the life you've been leading if you allow him just to go in and snip out a couple things that are not exactly the way he intended for you. You have to give him permission. But if you'll allow him and trust him, It may f make you feel like that you're frazzled to the very edge of your own existence. But he's good, and if you'll just let him have his way, the dots will begin to reconnect and the love will flow. You can have this, Jimmy. I cannot get my mind off of you. 
because of the greatness of what God wants to do for you this morning. He just keeps sharing this over and over with me. And I... He wants to do something really special for you. Oh, I love you with a thousand infinite love oh he loves you with an infinite love that not a thing in this world can characterize there's no image there's no likeness like him what a great redeemer the great redeemer I redeem You don't have to do this with all of you. Because he's so gentle, you have to give him permission. You have to say yes to him. But you may be different when you come out of this. You might ask a question, who am I? I don't remember me. He wants to take the memory and the consciousness of sin out of us. The memory of it from childhood, even our preborn nature. He wants to take it from us. He wants to bless us with love. Oh, the glories of what the cross has purchased. The glory of what Jesus, what you did for us. I want to take out the old. And behold, all things are made new. I just want to come down into your space. I've scattered you. I've made you feel and allowed you to feel it because you said you wanted me. Now, I just want to go in deeper and love you deeper, 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 deeper down. Down and travel in because you loved me. Because you realized I loved you first. I want to take away your sense of being exposed and give you me. I'm the all-sufficient one. I am your creator. I've made you, the Lord says. I've fashioned you. I can repair you. I want to have my way. I will not force my way upon you. I just want to have my way with you this morning. Darkness said, flee away. The darkness, flee away. Light, love, the oil of gladness, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness crowned in my life and my love for you. I wanted you, I said I wanted you, Lord, but I feel frazzled. I feel left out on the fringe. I've been left out on the edge. Was it not the Lord who brought you here? Was it not him who left you to bring you out to be his own?
Gabor begins his surgical operation with the mind to restore, to bring wholeness. you could be our greatest delight who knew that you were our all that we needed nothing for anyone else but you Lord you were everything to us who knew that you were our provision our protection and our direction who knew that you had everything that you were our whole entire existence and our whole life who knew not the shadow, but you're the very substance of our very being. Okay, right now, you know, some of you in this room are giving him permission. It's like, and I don't understand everything I say, but there are circuits in the brain. Places where the firing off could not happen. They're like corroded and covered over. Now, Lord, as he gets in there, he begins to scrape away the corrosion. And the circuit's like a thin, thin hair, but it's it's been covered up for so long. It's like I see him with a soldering iron of silver. He's rebuilding the circuit. It's a conductor of electricity. He's going in there and he's making repairs. Keep allowing him to make these repairs. At times you'll feel like you've been left high and dry. You'll feel like maybe you've been shut down or like you can't see straight or maybe some of you have to stare at walls sometimes and you don't understand why you feel blank. The Lord is, that's when he's coming on you. He's making repair. He's the great restorer. comes off the re-soldering of the circuit. It's done with silver and it's overlaid in gold.
has to do with your memory, your decision making, and your emotional responses. It includes fear, anxiety, and aggression. The amygdala is part of your limbic system. Um, the Holy Spirit is making, restoring in this area. I'm not saying I have the whole thing, but I know he's saying to me that I'm amygdala that's the right pronunciation is that right amygdala thank you amygdala so <clears throat> when we just receive your your healing Lord um, in areas this morning of our memory most amazing things and I'm sure many of you have had this happen to you by the Lord but for him to go back into your memory and change your perspective because many of us in our memory can get a perspective that's skewed based off what we thought or we think someone else has said about it and our perspective may be off I've had the Lord do this for me and it's, it's, it's amazing when he adds a piece of information to your memory that wasn't there and it, and it heals a part of your memory because you had seen it one way, but then you see the sovereignty of God in your life intervening even in the middle of your suffering and your trial. You see him there with you and it can erase some, bring out some of the offense that's brought you up to this day and subconsciously not to trust him. And you say, oh, you were with me. Well, I sat there right there with you with what you were going through. I don't know what all you've been through. I know many of you have suffered the human condition. Many in this room have suffered in their childhood and different things they've went through tremendous tremendous pain the Lord can come into this place in your memory begin to take some of you have great memories of, 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 of childhood and great memories and 
take these, I guess they're like, it's like a valence. Is, is that the right word? Or is that right? Like a file that's laid into your memory. Like a map. It, it, it involves, I think, hippocampus. Maybe you can help me. I, I don't know what I'm saying, but your spatial cognitive mapping device, how you're, how you move, how you know where to travel because see your memory is connected with the way that you live and move and have your being. Sometimes our memory can tell us not to turn a certain way because it's telling us you can't go there. That's dangerous or, or maybe for some people that's very gratifying, but it's the wrong kind of gratification. Maybe it's the right one. But your memory, see, can function in the way that you spatially find you the way where you're supposed to go, where you're not supposed to go, how you're supposed to move through life. It's amazing when your memory begins to be healed, how you will interpret fear and anxiety. Certain things, by God's wisdom, He may tell you to run into something that you would never go there, but he says, I want you to go there. And you're like, no, 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 there's no way. You won't be there for me. Mom and dad weren't there. My uncle and aunt weren't there. My my children weren't there. Whatever you, in, in this thing. And then the Lord's like, no, come here with me. And you're like, that is dangerous. Or that is, oh, that was the wrong kind of gratification for me. I can't go there. So the Lord gets to our amygdala may tell you like go there what if you're not there right what if I really blow it there I did before what if I turn from you there he said come here you know come here and uh, so see me there you're like that see me over here this is me it's like no that's dangerous that makes me afraid I can't go there and the Lord wants to heal that place in us by love this morning by love rewrite the circuitry repair the circuitry fix it so your decision making when you make a decision Your decision making is made right. And your response to your decisions is right. Tom, did you did you have something you want to say? neurologic ganglia that sorts all of our experiences according to the knowledge of good and evil. 
and then it's stored in our hippocampus contextually so that we can judge from our past experience to interpret the present and predict the future. But when we're born again, that's not its function anymore. We have to let that function go and allow the Lord to move on our amygdala and our hippocampus so that we can allow our amygdala to explore just what is God is doing in the midst of what's before us. Not judging according to appearances, but searching for the evidence and the confirmation in the Spirit for how He is revealing His glory. Not according to the way things appear, good and bad. Good is also out of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what would our hippocampus then be which holds all of our experiences there ready for redeeming? Redeemed. Being redeemed into the wisdom to know that all those things that were sorted according to the knowledge of good and evil were the work of God in our midst preparing us for His nature to walk in His presence and to be His life as the body. So all those stratifications of our memories, I say, Lord, have access to them, free access. Reveal how the things that I misunderstood that hurt, the things that I misunderstood that seemed like I missed the thing I wanted, the thing, the thing that I thought was removed from me that I needed. Lord, to wash all those misunderstandings away. Because we were never designed to live with the knowledge of good and evil in His presence. We were designed to live with the full recognition of the glory of God. How He redeems all things. Even Even our understanding of the timeline of our life we need to let go of because He made us to walk in everlasting life with Him. hippocampus and your amygdala and you, you, want the, you want to be prayed for just come forward and line up and we'll be prayed over okay this morning if you're thirsty 
has spoken over you in your childhood or in your life. And you say, I love you, but you need to come up here and get prayer. <laughs> Let the Lord bring healing to your heart. It's...
pray and I wanted to give you something that at least this has been really helpful for me but a lot of times some of us we don't really know how to give expression to what is inside of us that is causing us to self-protect what what while we build defensive systems or offing systems in ourselves that doesn't allow the connection and some of us don't really know how to say it. Um, but if you can, if you can allow yourself to go deep, deep into yourself and start to say back what really is really bothering you. If you can, if, if you can find someone that really loves you, it's really nice because you can come to them and talk to them. And sometimes we don't have a person like that that we would trust with our heart like that because it's we don't know if they would violate us or hurt us even deeper, and it's a scary place to go. But I've found if you can really begin to give an utterance to what's really bothering you. Now, like I said, I spent most of my life, I can't do this very well. I don't know if it's the male side of things, you know. Sometimes for us men, I don't really know. It's like if I could find the voice deep down inside and say, whatever it is, and it's painful, and you you don't want to bring it up because if you bring it up, you're it's so scary. 
But if you could begin to give a voice to it and say, this is what's bothering me about me. You know, I, you say it to the Lord. You allow yourself to just say it. There's a healing begins. I, I don't, you know, for me, basically it was self-hatred. I hated myself. If it really got down to it. Really, really, I would never want anybody to know that. I don't like myself. I don't like who God made deep down inside. And if you can just, you could confess it, whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you, but it's like slowly the layer of the self-protection and the, and the self, it begins to come off and you're just like, wait a minute, that's the lie. That was the original lie. Was, and then this begin to receive God's delight over you in the place of that lie whatever it may be then connection connection find that why am I keep disconnecting from people and why do I keep ruining the conversation and why do I keep messing up or whatever it is why not keep forcing others? Or why do I try to control? Why do I manipulate? You know, why do I try to cut corners? They begin to say, you know, I'm doing these things. And the Lord begins to bring truth to, to our hearts. And he says, I want to love you there. It's so freeing. You don't have to build walls up in yourself you don't have to protect you don't have to say you'll never hurt me like that again you know some people they made that commitment in their soul nobody's going to ever hurt me like this again I will not be done wrong like this and they build a system all around themselves the Lord just wants to get in there and say I want connection why do I keep messing up in my marriage or with my family member why can't I seem to connect Some people, they feel so much guilt from the past too, you know. I've messed up so many times. You can't forgive yourself. And the Lord wants to bring forgiveness and healing there for all of us. He wants connection. Trust Him. Some of you, well, I'd say every single person in here was created uniquely. of our culture has tried to dumb down the uniqueness of what God has made and tried to flatline us all with no voice. But your uniqueness matters. Your particularity of who you are matters. It's a gift to other people and not to shove it. To keep shoving who God has made you to be. The Lord said, if you'll lose your life for my sake in the gospel, you'll find it. He doesn't say if you lose your life, you'll find it. There's a lot of people who said, okay, I'm going to lay my life down. I still haven't found myself. Because laying your life down can still be humanism. You lay your life down for His sake in the gospel and you'll find your life. You'll find who you are. There's this great discovery of who we are in Him and this great righteousness that He gives us to live out who we are. He'll give it to you. You don't have to go get it. You don't
You don't have to make yourself holy or be performed to be holy. And you don't have to go out there self-seeking, trying to figure out who you are. You just say, Lord, I just give you me. And he says, I want you to do this. And you say, oh man, that seems kind of backwards. And you just do what he says. And you'll find who you are. And you will receive righteousness freely to live out who you are. You may be surprised who you are is so awesome. Maybe more awesome than you had thought you were. Maybe as awesome as you think you are, maybe God's idea of you is way more awesome than even your own thought of yourself. Uh, It more than likely is. You're way more awesome than probably what you have thought of yourself. And even those who have tried to actualize in their own awesomeness, the Lord's like, I want to give you so, so, so much more than that. Don't go after your own awesomeness.
beautiful. Man, amen. Let's take a few minutes to, this morning. We're going to take up our offering and tithe. And Lord, we just thank you this morning for uh, giving and the blessing and uh, over your people, Lord. We thank you for the opportunities, Lord, to to sow into your kingdom, to advance your cause, Lord. We just thank you, Jesus. And we bless everyone here, Lord, and their giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you as you give. Amen. Amen. Wow, amazing. We have... I just want to go through one verse with you, and we'll close. Last week, I was coming up to the end of this Luke section in Luke 2, and I thought that this, and I think you'll see this this morning, we'll go through one verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, if you'd like to stand together and we'll come to a closure this morning. We've had so much fruit born. We've had so much take place here this morning. God has moved in such a powerful way. We're so thankful to you, Lord, for what you've done. I believe that this word actually fits perfectly with today. And I was kind of surprised, and uh, as I always am, at the word of the Lord. But look with me at Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given him uh, by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this exposition of your word. Thank you for an anointing, Lord, uh, to minister this verse. For this great work, Lord, that you have brought forth and have brought forth and conceived in us. And the great work of who you are and your personhood and how you love us and how, Lord, that we are able to delight in you and to long for you and to be passionate towards you and to have true meaning in our life and true joy and true fulfillment and and true sorrow and true understanding because of your greatness and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At the end of eight days, uh, you may be seated. Wow, you guys are awesome. (laughs) We know. (laughs) At the end of eight days, I remember um, it was... January 2018, we had went downtown into Hendersonville to advance a cause 
down there. We got a building. We're looking at night and day prayer and intercession. We had said, you know, we're going to start on the outskirts of the city of Asheville because Asheville was a hostile environment to advance God's cause into. Whew. It's like, well, some of us, you know, it's just like, we'll build on the outside of the city, then we'll go take the city. And I had it in my mind. We get the building out there, get night and day prayer running, get an administrative team in place, get the singers and musicians in place, then we'll advance downtown. And I remember it was January 2018, three years ago this month, uh, Henry and Wendy and Rafi Assad were there as we closed the door on that building. And I was, I, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. We had plans to refit the whole building. We had entered them in. Michael Bowen, an architect, had come and drew up all the plans for the building. Was, we were going to launch night and day prayer and worship and advance God's cause downtown. And, you know, and that's after, let's see, I guess seven or eight years of, was since 2008 of pioneering this ministry. And it just seemed like this is the great failure. And, um, Remember, we closed the door, packed up all the chairs. We all went up back to the mountain, unloaded the chairs in that old house that some of y'all have been in. I was like, this thing is, is it ever going to happen, Lord? I was in the bed that night, laying there. Ah! And the Holy Spirit, internal audible voice of God says to me, welcome to the eighth day. And I said, what are you talking about? Is there an eighth day? Welcome to the eighth day. And uh, and this is too complicated. I mean, this thing about the eighth day is so phenomenal that I can spend five hours up here, and which I'm not going to because I have one verse. But I could take this one verse and expound to you for five hours straight and lay out the theology of the eighth day and just... Go all over and pour all over scripture about the glory of the eighth day. I had no idea. That there, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, but then out of rest the seventh day. I mean, it's just like it blew all my circuits, man. I, I thought, Labor, therefore, to enter into the rest of faith. You know, the seventh day. I mean, you know, when the soul finally rests. You know, when it finally says... I mean, you know what it is to toil. You know what it is to work. You know what it is to muster up the strength and say, I trust you, Lord. And you know the process of the human soul. I'm among the remnant of God. You understand You've been to Hebrews 1 through 6 and Romans 1 through 6. You've poured over the scripture. The Lord, he started saying, he's like, take Romans 1, take Romans 1 through 10 and lay Hebrews 1 through 10 over the top of them and you'll have two different perspectives and you can match them up. And I was like, wow. He said, he said, let me reveal to you something. And um, I've, the glory of the eighth day. You know, when you live most of your life not in rest, 
And the Lord says, labor, therefore, to enter into the rest of faith. And then he tells you in Hebrews, he said, hey, don't be like your forefathers in the day of provocation who hardened their hearts. And I was angry with them because they didn't enter into the rest of faith. They had a 14-day journey. It took them 40 years. You can see why I was like thinking, if we hit the seventh day, if we hit the seventh day, man, we have... We have done something that even Israel, backsliding Israel, had never even hit. So when God started speaking to me about an eighth day, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, that night I sat there and, and uh, he had to start to teach me. He took me to Proverbs 9. Listen to, listen to what it says. Wisdom has built her, in a, in a really good Hebrew translation, her palace. She has hewn out and set up seven pillars. Now, I know that some of you, you've had different encounters with the Lord in here uh, related to these seven pillars. I know some of your stories. I've heard them. Some of you have seen seven pillars of light. Some of you have had seven angelic encounters. Some of you, you understand what I'm saying right now. You've been in the experiences and the movements of God. Some of you have had, had this experience with God, so this will matter to you. I... Uh, over the next week, I was like, oh, the glory. I come to find out that in the original covenant of God, there were seven aspects or stipulations. If you study the Noahic covenant and you begin to dig into it, there are seven actual stipulations in the Noahic covenant. There's, this, there's these seven pillars or seven aspects that have to be laid into the human soul for the Lord to begin to build on, upon that a palace. He started to, to show me this. He said, I, I've got to get these seven stipulations correct called the circumcision of the heart. Remember, it says he's going to come up to circumcision on the eighth day. He's going to be there in the temple. The Lord began to expound to me that I've been wanting to restore man in these seven basic foundations so that I can build upon man a palace, a place where I can dwell. And, I, you know, like I said, I can't, I want to just unpack all this for you. Remember in Hebrews 6, we talked about this some weeks ago. He says, leaving Remember this, the doctrine. And he lays out six aspects. He lays out this, one of them, just one of them we've held in the church right now, especially in the last decade, is pretty powerful, the laying on of hands. Impartation. He'll say, leaving ritual washings or baptism. He'll say, leaving these basic doctrines, let us move on. Let us go on. And then he says something really interesting. If God permits. (laughs) 
people don't like exclusion clauses in the Bible because everything is meant to be inclusive. And while it, I believe the, the Lord paid for this, your sanctification, you have to partner with him in. Justification, I personally don't believe you partner with the Lord in. I believe that's upon his own design and choice. And some people have trouble with that, but that's just my position. I believe it's correct that you didn't have anything in you to desire him, nor would you have moved in faith unless his grace moved on you to save you in your justification. But in your sanctification, there's a partnership. And so when it says if God permits in Hebrews 6, you, you must move on from the basic six doctrines. And I mean, I mean, he gets into eschatology. We got some great, really amazing eschatological movement in the church right now that I believe gets it the best, and that's International House of Prayer Kansas City. And I'll tell you why I believe that is because those guys and gals pray. And I don't think you can understand God unless you get before him through your mind. You have to enter into prayer. And so there's, there's this movement from the six into the seven. And if you'll remember a few weeks ago, we, Stephen and I sat up here and we started to unpack with you the promise and the oath. We started to talk about the, the presence and the power. And how heaven can be brought down to earth. We, we started to begin to unpack that. Do you know what we were unpacking though? We were unpacking the end of Hebrews 6. And now, again, I'm leaving a lot unsaid right now. So you would need to go back and listen to these messages because I don't have the time to unpack all this for you this morning. But we begin to look at Hebrews 6 and realize there is a path in the human soul where you can go on beyond the six basic doctrines if God permits into this mechanism for, I believe, for transformation in the human soul that's at the end of Hebrews 6. Promise, oath, pull. Pop, you know. Well, he's your papa. He's your father. And, and what I realized what I was getting into with you about promise, oath, and pull was that you were getting into an agreement with the Father that His determination about your life, that you would agree with His determination. See, a lot have said that, well, I can exercise my own will. And, and well, maybe you can't. Somebody say, well, I have my free will. And I would say, let's just turn it just a little bit. It's God's will to make you free. It says that in the scripture, for freedom he came to make us free. Jesus was sent for our freedom. So we get at the end of Hebrews 6 and he says, let me reveal to you and show you how presence and power brings the heavens. When there's agreement from two witnesses, let me show you how you can pull the heavens in. Now, you and I are going to have to know how to do this, especially in the end times. And so this training has to come into our life, and many people want to resist it because, and I'll tell you why fundamentally, we don't, many people do not like the determination of God. And what I mean is that he is sovereign over all of creation. They kind of have figured in this, I kind of want to do my own thing. Now, we don't really know that we're like that, 
until things are taken away from us and the Lord says, let me determine where you're going to live. How are you going to do this and do that and do that? And we say, no, I want to decide for myself. And the Lord in sanctification is basically saying, let me decide for you. Trust me, it'll be better. Now, this is, this is a hard thing for people because they say, no, it, it won't be better. This is the lie. That it, essentially that he's not good. That is the fundamental lie that the Father is not good. So the Lord says, trust me by faith. Come and move with me out of my presence into a resolve that trusts me and watch while I release the heavens to bring a blessing into your life. Pop, our, our daddy, let me decide. Not let me decide, but hey, you decide. And that's what the transition in the end of Hebrews 6 really is about, that he went in as a priest in the order of Melchizedek, the true order of God, and brought something back. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Is that not accurate? It was a particular time and space that the Father chose the Son to come into the earth. The Lord is very particular. I didn't realize how particular he is, but he is very particular. Some people don't like that about him. Sort of, I can kind of do whatever I want, but could you allow the determination of God, the Father, to determine for you what is best for you? The will, the Edwards wrote about this, about the bondage of the will. The will kind of is like, uh-uh, mm-mm. You ever been kind of backed in a corner with the Lord? And there's no way out, and you're sort of just kind of like, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. I don't know if that's happened to you, but it's happened to me and my wife a lot. Like, oh no, you're going to determine. You're going to determine the bills. You're going to determine the household. You're going to determine the car. You're going to determine our friends. You're going to determine everything. And we're finally going to say, let your determination reign. Let your decision, and it's like the enemy's like, fight. It won't be good for you. He's not trustworthy. Don't trust him. Your own self is saying, don't trust him. He doesn't know. You don't want to be characterized like that. You're going to look like you stuck your neck out. And you're, you know, anybody ever just kind of stepped out for the Lord and, anybody ever stepped out for the Lord and then all of a sudden he wasn't there? Or you thought he wasn't? And that all of a sudden the situation is a little bit different than what you thought it would be. And you say, uh-uh. Like I stopped preaching last week. Uh-uh. That's not what I want. Mm-mm, that can't be good for me. He's like, that's what I've determined is best for you right now. Your spouse. Uh-uh. I want out. You know, so. <laughs> Your children. Ah. You know. Your grandchildren. No, your sons and daughters-in-law. Oh, you know, your parents, please, God, you know. And see the glory, the glory of moving through the sixth day is into the seventh of rest. And if you'll read, if you'll take time with this, some people, they take time with the preacher's notes. But if you take time with Hebrews 7 and Romans 7, You'll see these parallels. And you'll take time with Romans 8 and Hebrews 8. You'll see these parallels. It's fascinating. It's like you got 
this structural theologian, Paul, who's just brilliant in his capacity in Romans, and you have a little bit more fluid in Hebrews, and we don't know, people say, well, Paul wrote Hebrews. I I don't necessarily think that myself. Uh, We don't know who the author is. Some people believe it's um, Luke. I mean, there's a really strong inference that Luke wrote Hebrews. I'm not sure personally, but it's two different kind of writers for sure. And listen, there's no way into the final frontier unless you pass through Hebrews 6. You won't come into rest, Hebrews 7, and to what really, and we have this in the center of our nation, a bunch of Levites worshiping Jesus night and day. Consecration is what it's called when you're fully consecrated to the Lord. Hebrews 7, to entering into the labor, therefore, to enter into the rest of faith. You can't come into the eighth day if you don't pass through the sixth. The Lord's like, let me determine your life. Let me have it. Let the will be bent to him. In the Song of Solomon, she's going to say something, and she's like, at the very end, there's four transition statements in the Song of Solomon. She says this one statement. She said, his desire is towards me, and I'm basically okay with it. And that, the word desire comes all the way back from Genesis. And your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Uh, people for the most part do not like for someone to rule over them. I mean, to tell them what to do. Anybody in here ever dealt with that? You know, I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. (laughs) Thank you, John. Why? Because they can have like a false perspective over your life and it kind of confines you or whatever. And you can be like, nah, you're not telling me what to do. You know? She says his desire is, and this is more of the strict Hebrew, his desire is to control me, and I'm okay with that now. (laughs) This is what I mean when I say not self-determination, but God's determination. I'm okay with him actually authoring and finishing my life. I've just, I've got to the point where some of us, we had kicking and screaming, the wheel I remember when we first came into this with the Lord, I literally tried to tell my hand to go against God's will with my brain, and it wouldn't do it. <laughs> I was like, stop, get out of his will. I was literally fighting it. It's like, and it's so much better when you finally just say, I'm tired of suffering. <laughs> I'm tired of going through all this. And the Lord's like, yeah, let me have my way with you. And the repose, the rest of God, the seventh day, is this. You take a deep breath and you say, you're in charge. That is the rest of God. The rest of faith is, I trust you. The rest of faith is, it's not my decision. And I'm okay with it. I think in our family, we were like, every four months, we were having to make that decision, you know. 
And then the Lord's like, hey, let's get this up a little bit closer. And it came every three months and every two months and every one month. And it just about scared the living daylights out of me. Because when you submit to the Lord's idea every day, you don't know where he's going to take you. You don't know how you're going to take care of this and take care of that. You finally gave up trying to plan. Some people, man, if you're a planner, it can be tough with the Lord. I just warning you. Because he's in the moment, but he's got everything planned for you. And it's better. His plans are better. They really are. So rest is your rest. I found this to be the case. I tell Kara, I, I get really tired at the end of all this adversity. I say, oh, man, I'm getting tired. This thing's going to be good. Because, you know, all the stress and pressure's all around you and there's no way you can fix it. And if you start, like, saying, I'm just going to go to sleep, <laughs> you're right around the corner from a great breakthrough. Because you're just like, you know what? I can't fix this. You try everything. You do everything you can. You've obeyed the Lord. You did everything. And then all of a sudden, you come into a repose. And you're just like, whatever. I trust you. You can't sleep right now. you got to get up and get something done. He's like, no, I'm done. I've done everything he said. I've followed him. I've done whatever he wants. And you enter into rest. And here's the beauty. And let's all stand. Stephen... What is the eighth day? Oh, man. Abraham knew it. Oh, even if out of... I bring my knife up above my own son. He'll raise him from the dead. Resurrection life sits on the other side of rest. Now, man, you know... You wouldn't know this unless you had proved him to be faithful, but I can guarantee you, not on my own authority, I have this experience though, but on the authority of God's word, which is more powerful than any of our experience, that there is a resurrection life on the other side of the rest of faith. Every single time, if you will press into whatever he says and let him determine what it is that's your will, his will, <laughs> not yours. Say, well, Lord. <laughs> Don't even let it come out of my mouth. Not my will. What? Not my will. But your will. Let it be done. You know, some have like preach rest. I, I have. But if I, if I was to say rest was the end, was the end of it, which it will feel like it's the end of it. And there therefore remaineth a rest unto the people. But yes, God's promises are on the other side of rest. Let us not fool ourselves. Paul said it. If there's no resurrection, I'm the man upmost what? Misery. Even God recognizes that just if I was able to even come to rest and there wasn't some blessing sitting on the other side of it, that I would be miserable still. But no, every single time the Father, the Lord, will come through. He, he, he'll come through for you. You're like, I can't fix that relationship. It's blasted. I messed it up. Uh, him or she messed it up. There's no way. And the Lord said, there remaineth therefore a rest. Enter into the rest of faith. 
and come into my provision. Let me solve it for you. You have to come and I have to come to the end of what I can do and what you can do. And at the end, Kierkegaard said, he called that infinite resignation. He said, when I am completely resigned that there's nothing left for me to do, the Lord shows up every single time. I've watched this, I've observed it, and I've lived it. With my family, we have observed this, lived it time and time and time and time again. At the moment you forget what actually you're dealing with, He'll always show up. I don't, I don't know how it is, but He just shows up every time. It could be down to like what happened to John G. Lake when he's taking a, I think it was a train, and he got all of his clothes put in the wash machine, and he has seven kids and his wife, and he needs like a dollar fifty or something, and he has no way to pay it. I mean, he needs, he's going to need like seven hundred dollars after that to just get a boat to go across to Africa, but he needs a dollar fifty. He don't even have, I think it was a dollar fifty-one or something. He didn't even have that. And, and you don't want to make mama upset when you take all the clothes from her babies because that is not a good idea. Trust me, I know just a little bit about clothing and my wife and kids. You don't mess with the, all that stuff. That man's in trouble if God doesn't meet him. And he doesn't even have a dollar fifty. And somebody comes and taps him and hands it to him. See, God met him. He was, he was training him. You didn't have to manipulate. You didn't have to beg. You didn't, he couldn't work on the train. How's he going to get the money to pay for it? can't go wash the train's dishes. Or maybe he could. I mean, who knows? He's waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. Will he show up? Yes, he will. Every single time. Health issues. Your financial issues. They're real. Your family relationship issues. And listen, we don't we don't know what the outcome is. Because it's determined by him and predetermined by him. So you whether you live or whether you die, hey, he's faithful. Though he slay me, yet will I what? It the point is him. The point isn't my outcome. The point is his design, his desire, his eighth day. But there always will be a resurrection. Whether the Lord takes you up in glory or your family member, there's a resurrection. Whether he determines something that you would say, there's no way that could be your determination. You say, Lord, I bless you in it. It's not for me to decide anymore. Jacob knew it. He wrestled with God. You know what God was willing to do? God was so determined to wrestle that man, snapped his hip, and changed his name. For you shall no longer be called Jacob, supplanter, thief, conniving man, but you shall be called Israel. For as a prince you have wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. All to be the Israel of God. All to be then to enter into the eighth day of the rest of God. To enter into the resurrection, life, and power of our King. 
One verse. It says, and he said his name was Jesus. Why does that matter? Because God had to predetermine that what he would name him. Not my will anymore. Not my will, Lord. But yours be done. Be it unto me according to your word. That man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. God's determination, God's right to be sovereign, God's right to rule and govern and be king over all. He's the great king. He's the loving father. He's our Al Shaddai. He's the Abba. He's father over all of creation. We can trust him. It's just a submittance of trust. I trust you for everything this morning. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you with my childhood. I trust you all the way to the end of my life. I trust you whether I'll be martyred one day or whether I'll go out in a blazing flame of glory. I trust you. I trust you with my spouse this morning. I trust you with my children. I trust you with my grandchildren. I trust you with my parents. I trust you because you're good. And I trust that faith and faith and faith, we must believe that He is. And He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I trust your great reward. I trust that you essentially exist right now. That you started what you began, you will finish it. I trust that this global bride will come forth. I trust you, Lord, that this remnant family will come forth in glory. I trust you, Lord, for your great reward. I trust you that the highways and the hedges will come in at the end of the age. And you will save an elect offspring that is yours, Lord. That you will restore everything that's been broken and lost. I trust that you will throw that evil deceiver into the lake of fire. And we will dance on injustice in the end of the age. I trust you, Lord. You're the great resurrector and you're my only hope. Oh, you're my passion and my glory. Oh, we trust you now, Lord. You're holy and righteous and true. We trust you in the scattering moments. In the moments where we can't make sense of our own existence. We trust you, Lord, when, we, when we're in the middle of not knowing and we can't know anymore. We let the knowledge of who you are trump our own knowledge. Because you're the glory. You're the beauty. You're the majesty. You're the holy one. And we love you. We delight and take delight. We trust you in forgiveness, Lord and forgiving others. We trust you in giving and releasing all that we have. There's nothing's more special than to have you. Oh man, thank you, Lord. Let's take communion together. Where you go, I go, what you say, I say. What 
you say, I say, God. What you pray, I pray. What you pray, I pray. Jesus only did what he saw you do. He would only say what he heard you speak. He would only move when he felt you leave. Following your heart, following your spirit, how could I expect to walk without you? When every move that Jesus made was in surrender, I will not begin to live without you. chapter 9 verse 11 take this word to yourself and as for you also because of and for the sake of the covenant of the Lord with his people which was sealed with the sprinkled covenant blood I have released and sent forth your imprisoned people out of the waterless pit return to the stronghold and prosperity, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will restore double. I will restore double. I will restore double to you, says the Lord. I will restore your families and I will restore your former prosperity and I will bring down my blessing on you, says the Lord. Run to the stronghold of Zion. Run to the stronghold of 
of me. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Bless you today.